I invite you to remain standing as we read this morning's scripture. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Let's read together. Now, friends, I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in Macedonia province. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, pushing them to the very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I was there and saw it for myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than they could afford, pleading for the privilege of helping out in the relief of poor Christians. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. All the way. Really? You're going to take it all the way, regardless? All the way. This is my counter. No deal! What's left is number 10. Is number 10 worth $5? Is number 10 worth $750,000? Luis Green, you're going home with $5. He came to play. And he left with $5. 50 50 chance, $5, $750,000. Just before that, he was offered $333,000. So 50 50 chance at $750,000, or a 100% chance of $333,000. Which do you take? I mean, the bank would not own my house anymore if I took the 333. And I could do some remodeling too but he wanted more. Surely none of us would fall into that trap, right? Right, we're, we're all beyond that, especially me. I'm good. I don't, I don't ever struggle with that. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. My name is Brandon Blackson. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and it's so good to be with you. I'm really excited to uh, share this word. It's, uh, it's interesting going into a sermon knowing that you're going to be preaching about generosity and then having to think about like the way that you live for the entire week, and, and I'm probably better for it, but uh, well, a- anyway, it, w- we don't need to talk too much about my struggles, right? We got other things to talk about, but we're going through this sermon series, A Matter of Life and Death, and each week we're looking at one of the seven deadly sins and then the the opposite virtue, and our hope is that we recognize the temptations that that often we just kind of fall into without thinking about it, the temptation toward these sins that seem like second nature that usually are easy to fall into, they're appealing and and tempting, and, and so we just go with it. Hopefully there's more of a hesitation, we actually choose the better way. Because one of the things that I hope that we're seeing is each day we have the opportunity to choose life or death. Each day we have these little choices that we make. Most of us are probably never going to be on deal or no deal and have, like, have a choice where um, it's 333000 or you see what's in the case, right? But every day we make little choices and each one of those has the possibility of affecting us positively or negatively, affecting the people around us positively or negatively, um, leading us closer to Jesus or further away from him, of leading us toward life and toward death. And so our hope is that we recognize those choices that, that often just become like habits, but then we begin to change our choices and that we live more closely to Jesus and that we all together begin walking on the way that leads to life. 
And so this morning we're starting with, um, with the vice that probably has the, the, the most um, fancy sounding name, that is avarice. Avarice is a fancy word for greed. I left avarice in there because it made me sound smarter. I need to go back and listen to the sermon on pride maybe. But it's a fancy word for greed, and, and we know what that means, right? And we can especially recognize it when we see it. But just so that we're all on the same page, this is how Father Joseph Honeycutt defines it, the accumulation and overabundance of material wealth. And we might also add the desire for those things. Greed isn't always the actual uh, accumulation, but our, our desire and our motivation for it. And, um, and one of the problems with greed is that it makes worldly success the goal for our life and the standard for judging others. Whenever we're motivated by greed, we seek to get more. We seek things that, uh, that the world sa- shows us are important, like having a lot of wealth and money, having a, a really big house and, um, and all of those kinds of things, having lots of power, having um, positions of respect, a really good title, and all of those things. And, and we know that those things are not the most important things, but, but sometimes our, our behavior hasn't quite caught up with, with what our mind already knows, right? I know really well that having more stuff is not going to make me happier, and yet I try anyway, just in case. Like, maybe it'll help. I mean, it can't hurt, right? Well, it hasn't helped yet. And so, uh, and so this is something that we all struggle with. We all struggle with greed, and, and yet it's easy to think that it's just something for other people out there. And, and you know, who, who struggles with greed? You know, we think probably it's millionaires, Unless we are millionaires ourselves, then we think it's probably just billionaires who have problems with that. It's people who have more than us, right? That's what we think greed is something that people richer than us struggle with and not us. I mean, it's easier to say, you know, I'm just trying to get enough. I'm just trying to care for my family. I'm just trying to, to acquire a comfortable standard of living. I mean, the justifications come really easily, but I don't know about you all, but whenever I was in seminary, I was living on, in $10,000 a year. I was living in a really small house with three other people. At one point, we were housing four. Someone was sleeping on the couch. That was probably, we probably broke our lease. But I, I did not feel like I had a whole lot of financial margin. You know, things were tight. I make a lot more than $10,000 now, and I don't feel like I have a lot of financial margin. I mean, things still feel tight. It hasn't changed. And, you know, that's something that we all wrestle with. Having more never gets us there. We all think, you know, if I just got there, then I would be good. That would be enough. And, and I don't know about you. I haven't gotten there. Has anyone else... I mean, if someone raises their hand, I'll keep trying, but I don't think we're going to get there, right? There's no such thing as enough whenever it comes from outside. Enough is something that happens on the inside. So greed is something that we all have to guard against, and whenever I think of greed, I think of this sweet little guy I know. His name is Harvey. He is our Yorkie who weighs 18 pounds. We did not know that Yorkies got that big either until he finally stopped growing, but uh, he's, he's sweet. He's, I describe him as aggressively friendly. He gets in your face, but, um, you know, just wants to lick you and cuddle with you and have you pay attention to him and, and would never hurt anyone except, except whenever he gets hold of something that he's not supposed to. And specifically, if that is a piece of food that was on the table that has fallen off, usually at the hand of my three-year-old daughter, and you try to get that back from him, 
watch your fingers. He is no, the, the friendly, sweet, cuddly dog is gone, and this monster takes his place that makes sounds that, that my old dog never did, but this one somehow that wants to eat my fingers is growling, and, uh, and he's just totally different. Interestingly enough, he's the same way with tissues. I don't know why. <laughs> Surely they don't taste as good as, as food. But he's totally different because he's got something he wants and he feels threatened. His stuff is being threatened whenever I'm trying to take it away from him. And it's not good for him, or at least that's the excuse that I give. But he wants it anyway and he holds on to it as tightly as he can and behaves in ways that he never would have whenever he's like that. And surely humans are all better than that. We don't behave like dogs, right? Yeah, I'm probably, if we've never met before, I'm comparing any, we're off to a really good start, right? But that's what greed does to us. We begin acting in ways that, that we never would have whenever we feel threatened. Because whenever we're motivated by greed, our sense of security comes from stuff. And so whenever we see an opportunity to get more and we think that's going to secure us, then, then we behave in that way. Or whenever what we have is threatened, then, then we begin behaving in that way. And, and we do things that we never would have. Greed can lead us to behave in ways that we would find appalling in others. And we would think we are never capable of. That we would think, no, I would never do that. And yet what we find is that it becomes really easy to, to condemn others for and yet, whenever it's us, the justifications come really easily, right? Well, I had a good reason. I was in a difficult situation. I, I wouldn't normally have done that, but you know. I, I think of, whenever I think of this, I think of whenever I was in junior high and high school, and, and uh, that was before the days of streaming music and iTunes and all of that. And so, if you wanted to listen to music at home or in the car, you basically had two options. You could turn on the radio and hope that something good came on, or you could go and buy a CD. And uh, that, that was basically it. And so you were pretty limited by, by both the selection of your local record store and, uh, and by your budget. And being in junior high and high school, the, the budget was more often the determining factor. And uh, so, you know, we only had mu- access to so much music. And then this new technology came along that changed everything. It was called Napster. Does anyone remember? Right, and they brought file sharing to the masses. So now if someone had, had a CD, they could rip the music off of that and save it as an MP3 on, on their computer. And then anyone else who had Napster could download it. They could share it with everyone. And uh, it was amazing. And, and we could get all of this music. And, and uh, it was awesome to be able to share with people. And then the, the recording industry um, suggested that maybe sharing was not the right word and stealing was a more appropriate one. <laughs> And uh, so they um, sued Napster and won, and that kind of went away, or at least was no longer really appealing to anyone. And other technologies came along, and it kind of came and went. But, but the result was, at, at least until it, it got more difficult um, to download them, that, that all of us were able to download all of this music for free. And uh, basically, the only thing that limited us was whether or not we had high-speed internet, whether our parents had upgraded from um, dial-up yet, and uh, whether or not we had uh, a CD burner. And so a lot of us would have record, or not record, CD collections that looked something like that. And uh, you would burn these CDs, and then you'd have to... I, I never really decorated mine. They, they never quite looked that good. But, but you'd have all of these, and I had just an entire binder full of, of CDs that, that had been downloaded from the Internet. And, uh, and you know, it, everyone did it. It wasn't that big a deal. And, and uh, Britney Spears wasn't hurting for money in, in the late 90s, early 2000s. The Backstreet Boys were doing fine. The recording industry had plenty of money, or at least that's what we said. 
But you know, even if those things are true, and there are a lot of people who do not make a lot of money in that industry and who are struggling and who are hurt by this, but even if it was true, we were still downloading things that, that we did not legally have rights to, that, that we had not paid for. We, we had taken them. We had this opportunity to get a whole lot of free stuff, and, and we took it. And uh, anyway, I think I've gotten rid of all of mine unless they're in one of those boxes that, uh, that my mom brought to my house and I haven't gone through yet, but, but I've mostly moved on from those ways. But, but we do those things, and it's so easy to justify. More recently, we've seen in the headlines that, that people have tried to get their children into prestigious colleges by, by bribing people, right? And, you know, that, that really just kind of, uh, I mean, just really goes against the grain of, of a lot of what we believe is important. And people who are getting into places who didn't deserve it, who are, who are taking spots that should have gone to more deserving students, and, and that really bothers us. And, and I, I just, I wonder, though, that's not a temptation for me because unless I I sell the aforementioned house in which I don't have enough equity to have a a really good bribe, that's that's not a temptation for me. It's it's just not an option. But if it was, I wonder, I wonder what would we do? Because it's easy to condemn other people and then justify it for ourselves. You know, it really bothers us whenever people get in, like whenever we're applying to college, if if someone gets in and, and we think they're just riding someone else's coattails, you know, he got into Yale, but, but his aunt's the dean of one of the colleges. I mean, of course he got in, right? But if it's your aunt, hey, Aunt Susan, how's it going in the College of Arts and Sciences? Now, if I remember correctly, your office building is right next to the admissions building. Is that right? Okay, yeah, I thought so. You know, and this just occurred to me out of nowhere. <laughs> I haven't heard back on my application yet. I wonder if maybe, you know, whenever you park and you're walking to your office, instead of going by the admissions building, you go through it. You know, enjoy some air conditioning. It's getting hot. hate for you to sweat in your nice clothes. And then maybe you could just ask. I mean, you're right there. When should I, when might my nephew expect to hear back on his application? And, you know, I, I would never ask you to lie. But if you think that, that I'm a strong applicant... I think they would really value the opinion of a trusted faculty member. Can't hurt, right? I mean, and what do we call that? That's networking, right? (laughs) That's using the resources that are at our disposal. I mean, it's really easy whenever we're in that situation to to think, yeah, I mean, that's just, just having someone that we care about put in a good word for us. If we're on the outside looking in, yeah, that's someone taking advantage of and not getting something that they don't deserve. But it's easy for us to look at that and to justify it for ourselves and condemn others whenever it's something that affects all of us. Because greed isn't about how much we have. You can have very little and be greedy, and you can have a lot and be generous. It's not a problem of the wallet. It's a problem of the heart. It's a problem of the heart. And it's not something that can ever be cured by how much we have externally or how little we have externally. It's something that happens inside of us. And that's really where we have to wrestle with it. And, and so as we're looking at this this week, we, um, this is what Jesus said about greed. He said to his disciples, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of what? Possessions. And we know that, right? I mean, there's no one here who's like, stuff is going to make me happy. We don't say that out loud. If I just said, more money would make me happy, we don't, we don't say that but we act as if it's true. And it's hard for us to believe that, that it's not true. 
And yet it's such a temptation, Jesus warns them, and he's not really mincing word, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, because that's not where life comes from. And here's the problem with greed, it, it erodes our compassion, and it increases our anxiety. If, if I'm getting my, if I think the abundance of life comes from what I have, from how much money I have, from how much power I have, and, and greed's about a lot more than just money, right? If, if it's about, um, you know, any of those other things, then, then if I'm worried about having enough, then each of you is a competitor. You're someone, if you get something, that's something that I don't have, if you make more money, then that's less money that's available for me. If, if you have more power that's left for me, if you get a promotion, then that's a spot that, that I'm not going to get. And it's hard to have compassion on people that you think are competitors, that you're fighting to have every available resource. It, it makes it hard for us to be compassionate toward others. And then it increases our anxiety because even if we succeed at accumulating more, then we have to protect it. And then we have to worry about all the people who are coming to, to get it, and maybe we just moved into a new tax bracket, and so we have to find ways to protect it. Or, you know, there, there are people who might come into our neighborhood now that we moved into a nice one, and, and they might vandalize our stuff or try to break in. Or, you know, we've got to make sure that, that nothing happens whenever the economy goes south next time, and, and everything is protected, and it creates anxiety. We've got to protect all that we have. And, and that doesn't decrease whenever we get more. It actually increases, because now we have more to lose. Is that how you want to live? That's not how I want to live. I find myself there sometimes, and, and that's not where I want to stay. And so how do we move beyond that? Well, what we see in Scripture, the, the answer, the virtue, is generosity. It's generosity. And so we read this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. What Paul was talking about was he was encouraging the Corinthians to give to a collection for the poor in Jerusalem. He, he was going for, around the churches that he was visiting, and he talks about uh, Galatia and um, churches in Macedonia. And he was collecting, taking up this collection so that they could send it back to Jerusalem to help the poor people there who were struggling. And uh, his report back, he, he was telling them, he was trying to encourage the Corinthians to be generous. And so he told them about how the Macedonian Christians had behaved. And what they had done was there were people who were struggling, who didn't have a lot, who had gone through affliction and who were poor. And yet they gave generously and even considered it a privilege to be able to give and to help others. Despite their poverty and affliction, the Macedonian Christians gave generously to the collection. Have you ever been around people who just exude generosity in and, and the way that they use their resources and the way they use their time and the way that they give their energy? They're, they're just generous. Those are the kind of people that, that I really love to be around. Those are the kind of people that, that I want to be like, people who will just pick up your tab at lunch for no reason. Uh, I, I don't like being around them just because they sometimes do that, although I don't complain. But people who just are generous with their time, who you know they have many people who want their attention, but whenever you're with them, you feel like you're the only person on their mind. People who just live lives of generosity. I think back whenever I was applying to college, I, I was, uh, had decided to attend Oklahoma City University on um, 23rd in, in the city. And um, whenever I was, I was going there, um, Tom, or whenever I was preparing to go there, Tom McDaniel was the president. And uh, he was on TV, and all the admissions material had him, and everyone talked about what a great guy he was. And I thought, yeah, I'd kind of like to meet him. And, and so I was, you know, I was young and didn't know that uh, college presidents don't, like, hang out with incoming freshmen. And so I asked if I could have lunch with him. Like, I didn't know that that, that was not really something you're supposed to ask for. And he said yes. 
and, and he and I had lunch, and I got to spend that time with him. Now, now a lot of you have gone through, whenever you're working on, on being productive, on, on growing as a leader, one of the things that they tell us is only do the things that only you can do, right? Have any of you heard that? There are a lot of people who could have lunch with an incoming college freshman. That was not something that Tom McDaniel's particular gifts were needed for. But he was generous with his time. And he spent that time with me, and, and that meant so much to me. And, and now that I realize the naivete that I held then and, and even asking, like, it means even more. I think how he had so many things on his agenda and cleared that time for me. And that, that's how I want to be. That's the kind of life that, that I want to live. So how do we live so generously? How can we live lives like that where we're characterized by, by just giving, by freely offering ourselves to others and, and to God and to the people around us? Well, first we give ourselves to God. We give ourselves first to God. That's what, that's what Paul says about the Macedonian Christians. He said, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us so that we might urge Titus that as he had already made a beginning, so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you. They gave themselves first to the Lord. It wasn't just that they said, you know, well, Paul's really laying it on us. I guess we ought to be generous. Or, you know, I really want to be more generous. I'm just going to act this way. But, but it was an overflow of a decision they had already made. They had first decided to give themselves to God. They had first decided to follow Jesus. And because of that, they were able to act generosity. It flowed out of the decision they had made, the priorities that they had set. They said, this was the most important thing in my life, and I'm going to live as if that's true. I'm going to live as if Jesus really is the most important thing in my life. Jesus teaches something similar. We read it in um, Luke chapter 12. He told his disciples, therefore, do not worry about your life what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? He says, do not worry. And this is how he concludes, instead strive for his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Strive for his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. If, if you grew up in church or know some of the older language, you remember it this way, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Whenever we have our priorities straight, whenever we recognize what really matters, then we're able to act generously because we know that our well-being doesn't depend on what's in our bank account. We know that it depends on God. We know that it depends only on God, that God is the only one who can secure us, who can help us to live lives of joy and generosity. And so we trust him, and we live our lives accordingly. This is what John Chrysostom said. He was a fourth century bishop in Asia Minor, what's now Turkey. He said, For as a fountain, if it keeps its waters within us, grows foul, so also rich men when they retain everything in their possession. We're not made just to retain everything that we get. We're made to overflow to give that to others. Has anyone seen a fountain that has ceased to flow and still has water in it? Is that an attractive looking site? No, it looks kind of like that. You can see the moss hanging down. That's, does anyone want to, to be able to be described like that? That's, that's not how I want people to think of me. It's kind of like a fountain that was all clogged up. <laughs> but that's, that's what... St. John Chrysostom says that, that whenever we just keep everything, and, and he says men, he's not just talking to men either. It's all of us. It's all of us. And he talks about when rich men, and I don't know about you, but uh, I've got a lot more than I need. I have a house, and I know where I'm going to sleep every night. Um, I do not have to worry about missing meals. 
I've got two cars for the two people in my family who can drive, and I even put them inside too. It's called a garage. My cars have a house. I don't, I don't know about you. I've got a lot more than I need. I don't think he's just talking about people who have more than me. I think he's talking about me too. There's something for all of us. So here's what I think God wants for us. Whenever your cup overflows, don't buy a bigger one. Fill someone else's. You know, that's our tendency. Whenever blessing comes, we think, oh my gosh, this is more than I can hold. I got to get a bigger cup, right? And then that one starts to fill up too. And now I need a bowl to catch it all. And, and after a while, I need to dig a reservoir. Do you know a guy? Okay, and let's dam it up to make sure that none of it gets away. And we just continue to accumulate. That's not why God blesses us. God wants to bless us, but God doesn't want it to stay there. One of the things that we see over and over throughout the scriptures is whenever people encounter Jesus, they don't keep it to themselves. They go and share it. The blessings that they receive, they pass on. Whenever their cup overflows, they let others share in the blessings that they have received. That's the way that God wants us to live. That's what God wants for us. Because in being generosity, we're set free from greed, from the need to accumulate as much as possible and hold on to it for dear life. But we can live freely with open hands trusting God to be enough. This is how Richard Foster talks about how we can live this out. He talks about three inner attitudes of simplicity. The first is to receive what we have as a gift of God. And whenever we started out, we, we started by saying that we believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We, we recognize that this place that we live, all of it is God's. Everything that we have belongs to God. And God gives us the use of it for now, but, but it's not ours. We don't get to keep it forever. And so whenever we recognize this, the, the stuff that we hold on to, we recognize that it's somebody else's. We probably take a little bit better care of some of it. I, I know I'd care for my house a little differently if I thought it was God's. But, but whenever we recognize it's, it's God's, we don't have to hold on to it with tight fists, but, but we give thanks that God has blessed us. We give thanks for all the gifts in our lives, not as things that we have to protect, but as things that God has given us the blessing of enjoying. So that's the first one. The second one is this, to know that it is God's business to care for what we have and not our business. You know, we're, we're tempted to try so hard to hold on to everything and we think, you know, I have to do everything in my power to make sure that, that everything is cared for and I, I need 17 security systems so I can make sure no one gets in. And, you know, ultimately you can have a whole lot of security and, and gates and guards and all of that and, and can that protect you from everything? No. We know that the recession that started over 10 years ago, the, there were lots of people who had taken really good care who, who lost everything. Can anything protect us? God can, but our money can't. Nothing else can. And so we trust that God will take care of what we have. Now, probably, I, I would recommend continuing to lock your doors at night. Like, that doesn't mean don't be prudent. Don't use common sense. Have you ever woke up in the morning and looked for your keys? And then you open your front door, and they were there all night. I have not either. <laughs> I just heard stories, maybe. We still care for our things, but we recognize that we do what we can, and we trust God, because anything that we can do is, can help us, but it can't protect us from everything. And then finally, to have our possessions available for others. If we recognize that what we have, everything that we have is a gift, and if we recognize that God blesses us so that we might bless others, then the things that we have are not just for us. They're not just for our benefit. They're for others. They're things that we can share. 
And uh, I know a few of you are like, wait a second. And you think about that screwdriver that you loaned to your neighbor and, and oh yeah, I'm going to get that back to you. And then he moved out of state and you never heard from him again. That stuff's still going to happen. And uh, maybe you think of the time that you let somebody use something and it came back not quite in the shape that you loaned it to them in and that happens. That doesn't mean that we don't also keep boundaries. But whenever we see our things as gifts from God, we can share them with others. And instead of just keeping them locked away in in a closet or in a garage or wherever, they can actually be in use beyond just what we need, but can be a blessing to our friends and our neighbors and our families as well. So I want to give you, I I hope that this week you'll you'll pray about those things. You'll ask God to, to instill those inner attitudes in you. And then I want to give you a few specific actions to take this week. The first one is to give away something that is valuable to you to give away something that is valuable to you. Now, we've gone through, we moved about a year ago, and uh, we lost a little bit of storage space, and so we had to get rid of what felt like a lot of stuff. And uh, the stuff that we got rid of, probably stuff is the wrong category. It had transitioned into junk, and uh, and at least to us it was. And so we gave that away, and you know, whenever you give away a lot of stuff, like whenever your trunk is full and you go to Goodwill and it's like, here's all this stuff. I'm, I'm such a blessing to others. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not really for them. It's for me. It's, it's the, space is, the space has become more valuable than the stuff. And, and so I, I give it away. Sometimes we, uh, we give things away because, you know, we just don't want them anymore. And, and it's not really to be generous. It's just to get space. It's, you know, I, I need to get, this stuff doesn't really spark joy anymore. So I need to get some more stuff. I hope the people at Goodwill don't realize none of this stuff sparks joy. But give away something that's valuable to you, to, that means something. And, and I don't mean you have to give away the, the violin that was handed down from your grandmother's grandmother, not like that, but something that actually means something to you. Maybe something that, whether that's uh, sentimental or just the, the cost of it, give away something that matters. Uh, a few weeks ago, some of you may remember, we had winds that, that seemed extreme even for Oklahoma. Maybe that's just regular Oklahoma, but, but whenever that happened, our fence blew down in the backyard, and we had this really nice view of our neighbor's house that we'd never had before. And uh, anyway, so, so we went out and talked to them. It was the longest conversation that we've ever had, and, uh, and so we kind of worked it out and, and uh, talked about, you know, we had wooden posts, and they had rotted, and the fence fell, and so we said, you know, let's replace it with metal posts this time. Hopefully, we don't have the same problem, and they knew some people to call, and so they were going to take care of arranging it, and we just said, okay, and looking back, maybe we should have, like, set some kind of expectations clearer than you'll take care of it, but anyway, th- it worked out. And uh, so we got a call, and, and they, uh, the people had shown up a day early and wanted to work on our fence, and okay, whatever, we want a fence, so go for it. And, and our neighbors asked, and they said, you know, is it okay if we put the posts on our side? And I don't know if you all know this, but when it comes to fences, there is a good side and a bad side. I did not know that six months ago. And the good side is the side without the posts. And they wanted the posts on their side. And so I was like... Well, that's kind of a hardship, but yeah, I guess. But then I thought, you know, I wonder if they're going to be like, okay, since we got the bad side, we'll pay 40 and you pay 60. That's fair, right? Anyway, so we went for it and, and the work was done and, and they hadn't called us whenever it was time to pay. And so I just um, gave them a call. You know, the, the whole time we were playing, I'm paying for half of it. And so we called and, uh, and I asked how much so we could give them a check. And 
and my neighbor said to me, you know, the Lord's placed it on my heart. We've, we're further along in our careers. We've had more time to, to, um, to save than you have. We really want to do this for you. Um, you know, with the professions that you're in, we want to bless you this way. I, I was shocked. I, I couldn't believe it. I did not expect that at all. And we were so blessed by that, especially because the fence on the other side is about to go too, so we'll have some money to take care of that. But, but that wasn't... They didn't have a coupon laying around that was good for one free fence. I mean, that, that gift that they gave to us mattered. I mean, that affected them. And whenever we give someone something that's, that's powerful to us, maybe it's just, you know, something like a fence or something that we bought or, or you know, it's something that we've used that, that is meaningful to us. It's a blessing to them. But then it also blesses us because we realize we're not controlled by our things. I don't have to hold on to this so tightly. I can share it freely with others. So give away something that is valuable this week. I won't set a price limit or any of that, but something that is valuable to you. And then every day this week, find a way to be generous. And not just with your, with your things or with your money, but, but with, with yourself. Find ways to be generous with your time, with your energy, and, and with your attention. I think all of us know, as, as more and more demands are placed on us, that one of the most precious things that we can give to people is our attention. Because we can just pay attention to them. We can just listen to them and care for them. And, and so maybe that means paying for your neighbor's fence. Probably not. That, that's setting the bar higher than, I, than I'm intending, although if God calls you to it, go for it. Maybe that's somebody in your office who's going through a hard time and uh, you're feeling tired and don't really want to give yourself. Maybe that's just having lunch with them so they can talk about it. Maybe it's just showing up for someone who's struggling, making a meal for, for a neighbor who's lost somebody, or whatever it is. Find ways, whether it's possessions, whether it's energy, whether it's time, be generous. Do something every day this week. Because whenever we do those little things, just we make that one choice. And in the scheme of things, it's not a big deal, but whenever we make one choice like that, we gain a little bit of momentum. And then the second one comes a little bit easier, and the third one after that. And after, as it goes, we, we, it be, goes from being a series of decisions we made because they're at the bottom of the sermon notes that the preacher said we had to do this week, and it becomes a habit. Generosity becomes a habit, and then it begins to flow into our way of life, and we begin living differently. The choices that we make are, are not defined by scarcity and by greed, but by generosity. And in these things, I think in all of our sermons, that's, that's our hope, is that as we practice these virtues, they're not just things that we have to think about, but that they become our way of life. That because of what God has done for us, we live differently. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, because he has been so generous to us that we can't help but share the joy of what we've been given. I've been pastoring for about seven years. January 1st was my pastoral anniversary, and uh, I don't think they make cards for that, but, um, <clears throat> but I've done a fair number of funerals now. I mean, there, I was the senior pastor at the last two churches I served, and so I did all of those, and after somebody passed away, I'd go and meet with the family, and we'd talk about their loved one, and you know, those are meetings whenever uh, you laugh and you cry and you share the things that mattered most, and uh, whenever people, one of the things that people love to be able to say about their loved ones is how generous they were, this was the kind of person who would do anything for you. They would, they would give you anything if you're in need. They would give you the shirt off their back. Do you know what I've never heard in one of those meetings? My loved one had so many shirts. They got so many shirts, they were always buying new ones, and they held on to every single one, and they never let anyone borrow them. They had so many that their closet was full, and they had to colonize every other closet in the house because they had so many shirts. 
We love to talk about people who are generous, who give you the shirt off their back or the watch off their wrist or whatever, who would do anything for you. How do you want to be thought of? How do you want people to remember you? How do you want people to experience God's love because you were in their life? Don't you want to be generous? I think that's what all of us want, and that's what God wants for us. So as, as God pours into you, as you recognize your blessings, as you give thanks for the gifts that God has given you, let those blessings overflow. You don't need a bigger cup. You need to find another one to pour into for somebody else. Will you pray with me? And God, you are so generous to us. You've given us everything, even yourself. We can never thank you enough. Giving us more than we could ever deserve, more than we could ever need. So God, I ask that you would help us to be generous. That as you pour into us, so we might overflow into others. And the love that has changed our life, that we might share it so that others might experience that as well. We pray all these things in the name of Christ. And as he taught us, so we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.